Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Coming up on today's episode, we get ready for the playoff bound Jets after their big win in many. Plus, we unveil our end of the year award ballots. Hello, everybody. Recording live from somewhere. What's good and welcome to another episode of Skates and Plates on the Hockey Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brandon Rewicki. You can follow me on Twitter at Brandon underscore Rewicki or the podcast at Skates Plates Pod. All right, let's get right into it here. Plenty of good news, plenty of good vibes. We're flying high heading into the weekend, and why wouldn't we be? After that outstanding performance in Minnesota, which means we get, at the bare minimum, some playoff hockey in springtime Winnipeg, and everybody's ready to go. I've already had three neighbors come up to me and say, oh, we got a chance in round one. Do we believe that? Uh, maybe we'll get into that in this episode. We'll definitely get into it in the first episode next week ahead of the Jets' first playoff game against opponent to be determined. We'll find that out pretty soon, but we'll have a big-time playoff preview ahead of Game 1 to kick off next week. But we have plenty to dive into here. And to help me do so, once again, co-host CJOB's Tyson Rewicki stopping by. Tyson, how are we doing today? I'm doing great. I'm looking forward to the weekend. It's going to be what a fun weekend. Got a couple yeah, well, Diva Boy Tyson here is kind <laughs> of uh, up the uh, the recording time here because somebody's got to go to Kevin Hart late Thursday night. So we got to record this before <laughs> any of the games happen where we can officially determine who the Jets are playing. So blame Tyson for that. You got to say, got to see Kevin Hart, man. I mean, it's if if this wasn't. If this was this game didn't mean anything for the Jets, then you know I tell Kevin, hey, you mind just pushing the start time a couple hours back? But I didn't have to, and he'd be like, absolutely. Why? Yeah. Why wouldn't I? I'm a man no, of the me, people. Me and Kevin are good <laughs> good buddies. <laughs> yeah, I saw. I actually saw Kevin Hart the first time he was here. Um, yeah, you're you're making the right choice going to the concert because I I actually had like cheek cramps from like <laughs> smiling and laughing too hard. So yeah, he he puts on a hell of a show. That's going to be a good time. Um, speaking of good times, they keep on rolling. The Winnipeg Jets got it done. I mean, it would have taken an epic collapse to not get in, but thankfully we don't have to dive into whether or not that's possible. The Jets took care of business going into Minnesota, 
and a game the Wild kind of needed to win if they had any hopes of hosting the first playoff game, having home ice advantage in their Central Division series. So they step in, head into a tough barn to play in, and they get the job done on the back of a outstanding performance from Connor Hellebuck. I mean, Helly did lead the way in this one. But no matter what, the Jets found a way to get it done against the Wild. I mean, plenty to get into from that game specifically. It's been a few days. I don't know if we're going to spend a ton of time diving into the... um... What happened again? Yeah, I'm I'm trying to think (laughs) of the right word for it. Like a a family-friendly word for for what took place there. Um, The buffoonery from the Minnesota Wild. Maybe that's like the best... Debauchery. (laughs) Yeah, debauchery. Like, however you want to call it. The the Jets survived, barely. Um, Although, you know, Neil Pionk threw his uh, hat into the ring too while, while things got a little bit crazy in the third period there. Uh, so maybe we'll touch on that a little bit. But I, I don't want to break down the game too much, Tyson. Um, we'll, we'll talk about some of the incidents that took place there. But now that we know the Jets are into the big dance, we know that they're locked in. They're going to be playing the top seed in the West, either the Vegas Golden Knights or the Edmonton Oilers. My main question now that we've seen the Jets turn the tide over the last couple of weeks. And I think it's the question that everybody's asking themselves right now. It's it's just simply this. Are we ready to get hurt again? Are we ready to believe in this team <laughs> that just about everybody believed it in the first half of the year? They pulled the rug out from under us for about a two and a half month span. But they are, no doubt about it, peaking at the right time. So that's the question, Tyson. Are we ready to get hurt again by the Winnipeg Jets? Not knowing who their opponent is just yet, do you believe that this team is capable of making some noise this upcoming postseason? I do. Under the one condition that it's Vegas first round. I think Mm -hmm. that if you can get Vegas in the first round, you can really start to build momentum. And if you can carry that momentum into the Oilers series, and we've seen the Jets in playoff series do a pretty good job of shutting down Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl going back to, uh, you know, like the, the Canadian division season after after all the COVID, COVID bubble happened. And so I think that, yeah, you can really, I think the Jets can build momentum off that Vegas series, continue that into the next series against Edmonton. That would give them a chance. However, there are some question marks. Like, are you going to get past Vegas? Like, I think this is a team that we've seen go on runs, whether it's playing at a high level or playing at an extremely <laughs> low level. Like, you're going on a run regardless. It's just there's no in-between with this team, right? Like, to me, honestly, in my opinion, I feel like they're either gone in five or they go to the second round and they actually give the I, – the, they give whoever they play in the second round a solid run for their money. I don't. I, guess. Yeah, but that, I would say that's pretty accurate. Yeah, <laughs> like I mean, it's never it's never in the middle, really, with with this club. Um, so that that wouldn't so it really wouldn't surprise me either way. I and we'll get into. I don't want to you know dive too much into the matchup against likely Vegas or Edmonton because we'll we'll get into that big time for next week's episode. There's no point of really wasting it when, once we find out the the team, then we'll get into it big time. But it's more so just like an overarching question. And I believe I said last week, or maybe it was the earlier episode this week, 
that I upgraded the Jets from they won't lay down and die in a series to they have a chance in the first round. That that was my level of optimism a few days ago. Just pretty pretty damning, right? It's, it's not it's not the the biggest endorsement of approval. But I gotta say, Tice, after that Minnesota game, and and specifically like the way it transpired, I think they're gonna give whoever they go up against a big time run for their money. They they might not come out on top against either Vegas or Edmonton. But if they do get past either one of those teams, like they might go on a bit of a run here. And and I, I do think there's something, I mean, it's it was pretty noticeable that their play was trending up going back to the Detroit, New Jersey back-to-back. Like that was their, for, okay, may, maybe we're building on something here, a bit of a dip against Calgary. And then it's been up, up, up since then again. Um, you know, they, they didn't play all that outstanding against Minnesota. Like, you know, Hellebuck borderline stole them the win. At the very least, you know, he was heroic with what he did out there against Minnesota. Um, But it's just the fact that the way that crazy third period went down, you've got Dylan stepping up against Hartman, making, making Ryan Hartman turtle, which was great to see. And then you have, of course, like the big one in Adam Lowry, stepping up to the top dog in Ryan Reeves. And I, I would say earning the decision against maybe the toughest guy, the biggest fighter in the NHL. And, and you could, like, the second he steps off the ice, of course it was Dylan, too, who's already kicked out of the game, right? But, like, the, the response by the team was electric. And I, I, I do believe that sometimes, and maybe it just happened at the perfect time, too, but you get instances like that where the team quite clearly bonds in a big way. But it's almost like a, a turbocharge of positive vibes where it's like, hey, we can we can do this. Like maybe there is something special brewing here. So it's funny that in, in just about a week's time or so, I've gone from they're gonna lay down and die in the playoffs to they won't do that and, and might be a bit competitive to, to now where it's like they they might be they might be pretty close to slight underdogs against the top seed in the West. And that's a pretty remarkable turnaround in a, in a really short time, especially considering how poor they had been through January and most of March. Yeah, and you mentioned it wasn't a great game for them, but we had seen times, even when the Jets were playing good throughout, earlier on the season, we had never seen a game finish like that. Like, we had never seen the Jets really pull their bootstrap and say, you know, we're not going to take this. Like, this is... We're, we're coming into the playoffs. Minnesota is our biggest rival right now. And you guys come in, come in thinking that you're just going to run us over, that you're just going to steamroll us. That's not going to happen. And seeing Lowry go after Reeves and, and Dylan go after Hartman. And they're like, that's what gets me fired up. And that's what gets a lot. That's what gets a whole team fired up. And it just builds momentum and it builds a camaraderie in between the team. On the other end, the Neil Pion, we'll get to that, but I, I got some thoughts on the Neil Pionk incident there but yeah overall great team showing that you're not just going to lay over and die it's this this level of intensity is something that we haven't seen yet in this Jets team and it could be coming just at the perfect time before they come into the playoffs yeah and you know I I still don't love the combinations up front but there's no doubt since they've been put together they're you know each of the top three lines are heavily outscoring the opposition but even if there is a shakeup inside the top six at some point 
third line is playing their asses off right now. Uh, you know, Lowry and Niederreiter in particular are, are driving forces to this team's success right now. And look, whether it is Vegas or Edmonton, Adam Lowry's line is going to have a really, really big role. They're going to play a ton of minutes in, in that series, that first round series against either club. And if they can, if they can turn the tide, if they can break even or even win those matchups, the Jets top six is it might might just do some work against some of those clubs. So I yeah, I, I think there is legitimate reason for optimism. The problem is because of that slide in the early part of the new year, they're going up against either Vegas or Edmonton. And they can play great. They can play as well as they have over this last little while and lose in six. Right? That that's the crappy part of it. And that, that's the the situation that they put themselves in as opposed to facing, say, a Minnesota in round one, where I think a lot of people would have the Jets, especially on their trajectory right now, as favorites in a first-round series, as opposed to underdogs against the top seed in the West. Uh, but we'll get into all the playoff talk and the playoff previews, you know, depending on when the Jets' first-round series starts. If they kick off Monday, we'll have an episode out for you guys Monday morning. If not, then it'll be during its regularly scheduled time on Tuesday. But before we get to our end of the year stuff, Tyson, let's talk about the debauchery, the buffoonery, the madness that was the final eight, nine minutes of that third period there. And, and for me, it's really simple why everything took place before we get to the, the separate incidents that happened. And, and, and the first is this, this is why officiating in the NHL is so stupid and awful. When refs try to control a game or manage a game, if you just call the clear boarding major from Ryan Reeves on Dylan DeMello, if you just call that, even if it's a minor penalty, right? Like a major, it was to me a clear major, um, probably because DeMello didn't, you know, lie on the ice unconscious is why they didn't call it a major, which is another one of my major pet peeves. But if he, if they just call a penalty there, I don't think anything nefarious happens in the final bit there like it all gets washed away if the refs just do their job initially but they don't the temperature rises and then you have the Harbin on Ehlers the Pionk on Johansson the Reeves like all of like it just cascades so quickly because the refs don't do their job and call the first blatantly obvious penalty that everybody could see happen while it was going on live that that was the, the first issue that should have been taking place there yeah a hundred percent and I feel like this season in particular, the refs have really, really shied away from giving major, boarding majors. Like I feel like for the most part, they're only two minutes this year, and it's kind of ridiculous for, for it being the most dangerous play in hockey. Like, Yeah, you could only paralyze somebody. So right. like, yeah, why <laughs> penalize them severely for it? Totally. And I'm shocked DeMello got up. Like He literally like didn't yeah. even fall down. I don't even, I don't even understand how he was – like he must have just – I don't even – I have no idea how he didn't get hurt on that play. And to me, I think, in my opinion, all three of those should have been majors. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's just, for the Reeves hit, that's a deliberate, deliberate boarding. The Hartman play, I can see an argument if Hartman were to hang on to the puck and then hit Ehlers. But the fact that he one-touched that pass so fast as soon as he got it and then shoulder-checked to throw that hit, I think there's deliberate intent there to try to injure a guy. So I also agree with that. And this might this might be a little bit of a hot take. I think the Neil Pionk cross check was the most gutless, to be honest. I really do because 
this is why I think that. If you do that to a guy like Reeves or Hartman, you take a shot at him for taking a shot at your guy, totally understandable. You go up to a guy like Marcus Johansson, who doesn't hit anyone, is the softest player in the league and has multiple injury and has a long hit injury history. And he's not even looking at the play. And you can and Neil P you can you can see him kind of move his glove up closer to the blade so that he gets his full stick into his rib cage and he broke his rib cage. Like that's gut to me, that's gutless. Like like for on on a guy like Johansson, if that's on Ryan Reeves, go fair game, in my opinion. But to go on a guy like Marcus Johansson, I think that's just ridiculous. And I'm shocked that even as a repeat offender that he only got a I got a fine with with this last game being meaningless too. I, I, love, I love that Johansson's just catching strays here. Like he gets <laughs> gets cross checked in the ribs, broken. He's the softest player in the league. It's just, <laughs> I, I, you might be right, but it's just yeah, it's, it's, the victim takes another one there. I yeah, I mean, I would probably put the Reeves one number one just because like you, right. you're they're, defenseless I, from behind. They're close. Yeah, they're they're all yeah. I would I would agree. I don't know which one's the word. I mean, they're all majors for me. Like they're all they're all five five in a game ejection, and then you want to talk suspensions afterwards. Then then we can we can go down that route. But I saw Hartman did get one game for for the what the interference, what it, whatever you want to call it, the cheap shot on Ealers there. I agree. Like if he has the puck and like kind of catches him still, like at least you can say like I got the right. puck right, but the the puck was gone. And One it was just—it was, so was a cheap shot. It was just a cheap shot. Like he—he kind of knew what was coming there. He probably saw Ehlers take a minor run at Kaprizov, like minor. He hit hit him like half second after he got rid of the pocket. He just, hey, I'm gonna go after him. So I, 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 I mean, yeah, the refs blew that one too, and then it just keeps going on and on and on. Um, probably the best part of the whole thing is the bonus Evison. Oh yeah, like that. Oh, that yeah. is like both, and I love both coaches there. Like bonus doing the too small, like that's a pretty devastating move. But then Everson looking like an absolute psychopath. Like I think at that point, bonus is like he did. He did like push away. Like he's like ah, maybe, maybe I don't want to mess with that guy. Yeah. But like throwing out the too small thing, like that was that was top notch from Bones there. It just it really is too like. We talk about the Jets not having a rival per se. I do now. What you do now, kind of, but Winnipeg, Minnesota round one. Whoo, that, that would have like that all debate would have been over there. And I, I mean that might have been it would be like a, a steel cage match. It'd be like, like whoever standing at the end wins the series. It'd be like Pittsburgh Philly in twenty twelve when they had that <laughs> when they had that big draw at the yeah. end of the season and it would have it would have given it a run for its money. It, it's too bad that the animosity isn't going to be there for whoever the Jets. Well, we'll see. Well, it might might be there by the end of the series, but Jets Wild would have been not so. Um, and I think I think the Jets would have taken care of business against Minnesota. So that's another unfortunate part of the two teams not meeting in round one there. But either way, um, certainly certainly puts the Jets in a. Uh, a motivated spot heading into the the playoffs. Um, not so much game eighty two, which really means nothing. Um, but either way, we'll break it all down for you guys. Like I said in our first episode next week. But now let's get into the final part of the episode here because our upcoming episode will be primarily playoff preview picks, all that stuff. Uh, quickly, let's get into our picks, Tyson, for the NHL awards at the end of the year. 
some of these cut and dry, some of these not so much, and some of these actually involving members of the Winnipeg Jets. So it'll be intriguing to see how similar our, our quote-unquote ballots are. Um, but let's dive into it here. Let, let's talk awards and see where certain Winnipeg Jets stack up against the best of the best in the NHL. So let's go with the big one first, and I would say the least um, the least debatable, the Hart Trophy. Because Connor Hellebuck runs away with it, obviously. No. Um, <laughs> yeah, Connor McDavid might might win this one, I would imagine. Um, and he will do, I mean, if it's not unanimous, take whoever didn't put him at number one, fire them into the sun and then have somebody else step up with a ballot for next year, because there's just, there's no debate to be had. The interesting debate really is just who's two and three. (laughs) And, and for me, number two is pretty easy. I got Matthew Kachuk dragging the Florida Panthers on his back. And really being the driving force for them grabbing one of the wild card spots and maybe putting up the quietest 110 point season in, in NHL history. So I got Matthew Kachuk at number two. Number three. Number three, it's a tight one for me. Robertson or Dreisidel. I think I'm going to go with Jason Robertson. He kind of cooled off near the end, but he was pretty damn electric especially in the earlier part of the season. Um, but he was the driving force, the the main the main piece for that Dallas Stars offense. And I'm going to go with um, a McDavid-Kachuk-Robertson 1-2-3 ballot. Yeah, I, I'm pretty similar. I got McDavid at number one, obviously. I do have Matthew Kachuk as my second pick as well. I think that just the way that he – the way that it was just dragging your team to the playoffs. Like it was it, – in my opinion too, it was way more – value more valuable of a season than taylor hall had when when he won the mvp so yeah i got matthew to check with my two and as my three i'm not gonna pick either of those guys that you mentioned and i rolled with david pasternak best player yeah, that's it yeah i kind of in my opinion you almost have to give props to being the best player on the best team of all time so i went with david pasternak yeah that yeah like boston's like they, they've just got so many good guys that it's tough like pasternak gets kind of screwed over because it's like, well, Allmark might win the Vesna. McAvoy and Lindholm are up for the Norris. Bergeron's, uh, you know what I mean? Like, it's, yeah, he's kind of just, like, it's almost like the team is too good, which, yeah. I mean, look, Robertson, Pasternak, um, who was some of the other guys that I had? I mean, Dreisaitl, you could make a case for. Jack Hughes as well, you know, being the lead dog for the Dev. Like, there's there's a few guys that I, I wouldn't really complain about too much being in that third spot. But, um, yeah, I think... I think McDavid Kachuk is the likely one too, and then I, I would imagine that the voters might put Drysaddle up there just because he's second in league scoring. But we'll see what happens once the award show takes place. Now, the next I would I'll call it the biggest one. I don't know if it's the next biggest one or not, but it's one that will certainly have a Winnipeg Jet in the mix, I imagine, and that would be the Norris Trophy. I, I I don't know how this one's going to go, Tice. I know how we both feel here in that we've got, I would imagine you do, after our uh, mini rant last week, but um, Eric Carlson putting up a 100-point season, locking him in to the Norris Trophy um, and doing so on the worst team, no help. They've been a disaster with him off the ice. They've been competitive with him on the ice to me. I got him as my as my pick for the Norris Trophy, but I will say this. My my number two guy, the fact that he made it close is ill 
I guess, illustrative of how great he's been this year. Um, but I got Adam Fox at number two. I, I think he's kind of underrated somehow. Like, I, I think, you know, Fox, Makar are the no doubt about it top two guys and, and Carlson in there as well. But I got Carlson number one, Adam Fox number two. I, I'm st- I still don't know where I'm going with this one, Tyson. Like, there's a few guys here. I really struggled with three as well. I don't think I would put Josh Morrissey at three. Ooh. I think I think I'm gonna go Kale McCarr at number three. And it's tough too because if he played all 82, I think he would have a case for the Norris. He would, he would, certainly, he would certainly be ahead of um Adam Fox, because yeah, McCarr might have put up 100 points, but he did miss 20 games, right? So like, how much do you take? Like that that that's a that's a tough debate to be had. I think I would go Carlson, Fox, McCarr, Darlene, and then Josh Morrissey at number five. Yeah, that, that's uh, to me. There's when you get past Carlson, I think that there's a lot of room for debate on these couple on these couple candidates. Like I went Eric Carlson number one, Adam Fox number two. And I and I re I went back and forth on this one, and I went I I really went back and forth on Josh Morrissey and half is Lindholm. Yeah, Lindholm's there. Lindholm and McAvoy are both there, right? And I and I ended up going with Josh Morrissey as my three, just because we talked about Eric Carlson on the last episode about how there's if you put all some of these other defensemen in that situation, they're not putting up Eric Carlson numbers. I don't think a lot of these D men are putting up the numbers they put up if they're playing for this Winnipeg Jets team. I think that Josh Morrissey's impact on this team is just greater than some of these other guys compared to, like relative to their team. So that's why I went with Josh, Josh Morrissey as my three. Yeah. I think Morrissey and Dalene are in the same boat where it like they carried the offense Yeah, from the, from the back end for those teams. Yeah. So yeah, I, I have no problem. If Morrissey's three, that'd be great. I know defensively his numbers aren't as strong as the Foxes, the McCars, the Lindholms. But what about but the mean, forwards? Too, yeah, right? yeah. Then that's that's the problem with all this, right? Is just like, like I, I really believe you have to take environment into account. And you know, Morrissey's not a perfect defensive defenseman, but I, I think he gets the short end of the stick that he's got. You know, Shifley and Dubois at times compared to a Patrice Bergeron. Like I imagine, I imagine there's a bit of a gap in terms of defensive talent between those two, and that's no fault of the defenseman there. So, yeah, I, I think best case for Morrissey is finishing in the top three. But I imagine, I think when it's all said and done, I mean, there's a lot of good demon this year, Tyson. I I don't think he's going to end up top five. I think he's going to be somewhere in the six to ten range. Really? Yeah, I, yeah, because I think I think there's enough voters with an analytic leaning that are going to go with some guys that have had more impactful numbers at both ends of at you know defend at the defensive end of the ice. I think his slower play in the second half is gonna play a part in that. And on top of it, he's let's face it, he's a Winnipeg Jet. <laughs> There's a lot of people that probably aren't super familiar with how strong he's been throughout the course of this season. So I, I think Morrissey's gonna end up in the six ten range, but for me, I've got him at number five. No problem if he's on uh, number three on a ton of ballots out there. Uh let's I mean make quick work of this one here. The uh, the Selkie Trophy, which will only be named the Selkie Trophy for 
a few more years, I imagine, before it's renamed, rightfully so, the Patrice Bergeron Trophy. And um, shocker, Patrice Bergeron wins it again. He is a cyborg. He's not human. Um, the best defensive forward that's ever stepped onto the ice. And he wins, I mean, what is this, seven? Is this seven Selkies for him? I don't even know. Um, but kind of like the Hart Trophy, it's interesting to see who's going to be behind him. Uh, I got Mikhail Backlund at number two. Yeah, you know what? Whatever. I'll I'll do it. The Flyers had a miserable season. I don't know if I don't know how many people know who this guy is, but I got Noah Cates at number three. Noah Cates, if you're an analytic wow. person, defensively was a superstar this year. Def, def, let me stress this defensively. Um, so doing it on one of the worst teams in the NHL, I'll give Noah Cates a shout out there. But I really don't care who finishes where after Bergeron. Yeah, I, I I hustled with Noel Cates too, but uh, he's gonna pop up on one of my other lists instead. <laughs> but uh, okay, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So I went with Bergeron, obviously at one. Number two, I went with Nico Heischer. Hmm. And I think that he just see, I think he had a really solid season, being that kind of stud number two behind Jack Hughes, not a number two center, but he's a number two on that team. And with the third pick, I just went with the all reliable Philip Deneau. I think he's just so just Philip. It's Philip the No. He's just the perfect matchup center, and so I I tossed him on my th- as my three. You know who I might actually put on there that people I think will scoff at, but I I, I think he's super super underrated defensively is Mitch Marner. Yeah, he's he's a beast defensively, and he kills. He's the Leafs' main penalty killer. Like he he really does it all. I, yeah, I, I I love watching Mitch Marner play. In the regular season, at least. So I, I'd give Mitch Marner a bit of love, too. Uh, let's move on to the Calder Trophy. Again, I think a pretty easy... Dis- well, maybe not, I guess. Stuff with goalies thrown in there as well. Um, but the guy that I picked before the year is going to be the guy that I pick at the end of the year. I got Maddie Beignet of the Seattle Kraken taking home the Calder Trophy, followed by Stuart Skinner and Owen Power. Yeah, uh, we got our top two are the same, and then I went with Noah Cates as my three, just because you look at his number at the rookie scoring numbers too. He's got thirty seven points this year compared to like so it's only eight points back of the number two scoring rookie in the league, Matthias Michelli for for Arizona, and that's you know you're getting all these all these opportunities with Arizona there, and I think and like you said before, his defense is absolutely insane this year. So you add in that being that almost top five in rookie scoring and producing borderline Selkie level defense. To me, that's worthy of being the number three rookie of the year. All right. Must be a bright future for the Flyers if they have. Uh... <laughs> oh, damn it. They're so bad. I hate them. I hate them so much. Um, let's save. Let's save the Vesna for last. Um, quickly, let's go to coaches. The Jack Adams ballot. Um, do you have bones in the top five? Yes. <laughs> that, that did not sound confident at all. <laughs> yeah. You know, he was like, he was five for me. I mean, it's, it's gotta be, it's gotta be Jim Montgomery, right? Like totally. you, you have the best season of all time. I, I I would say that's a fair pick. Yeah. Jim, Jim Montgomery, I think has to be number one. Uh, I, I mean, I think Bruce Cassidy has to be number two. That was my pick before the season started. Cassidy um so I yeah I would have I mean that's got to be your one two there and then you've got DeBoer in Dallas 
I mean, really, too. What's the, oh my gosh? I can't believe I'm forgetting his name. The 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 coach in Edmonton, the the guy that Woodcroft. Uh, Woodcroft, right? I mean, Woodcroft, I think, has to be thrown into there as well. I mean, do we dare mention Hackstall and the Kraken grabbing a playoff spot? Well, I I've got I got none of those guys mentioned in my top three actually. Um, I I would also I would also give some love. I think we got to give some love to the guy that everybody said would be the first coach fired this year. Lindy Ruff and, and putting the devils into the spot there. And I think my top three would be Montgomery, Cassidy, and then Lindy Ruff. Just, just just because it was fire Lindy one week into the season. It's I don't know if we've ever seen a coach go from that to potentially winning coach of the year by the end of the year. Yeah, no, I'm not, I'm, I got the exact same ballot there. I think it, it's almost just a, like a feel-good story, right? Like the coach of the year like doesn't necessarily always go to the best coach, but it goes to – how good was your team last year? How good were they this year? Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So, yeah. That's why I like Monty winning it because it's just like you were the best coach of the best team. Yeah. <laughs> Let's not overthink this one. Uh, final one here before we wrap it up, Tyson. The Vesna. And I would say, despite some stiff competition, probably the Jets' best chance of bringing home some hardware. It is fierce at the top. Do you, first off, do you have Connor Hellebuck in your top three? I'm in my top two. Ooh, spicy. Why don't you go with yours first, and then I'll unveil mine. And uh, me saying top two, unfortunately, it means that he's not going to get it. So <laughs> Yeah, I guess, yeah. Connor Hellebuck's my two. I actually went with Ilya Sorokin as my number one, and I tossed Allmark down to number three just because that team's so good. And you, even you look at Jeremy Swayman's numbers, those are ridiculous too. So, like, and Linus Allmark before this season, I mean, he was an average goalie at best. Like, he wasn't anything crazy. So, yeah, I think team plays a huge part for Allmark. And I think that Sorokin and Hellebuck, I think they're neck and neck because those two guys give are, give their chance, their, their team more of a chance to win than any other goalies in the NHL, in my opinion. So I roll with those two as my top two with Allmark as almost a distant third, I say. I have Allmark at four Ooh. because you see Soros almost went Superman. Yeah. And I, I think to me, like Soros and Hellebuck are ba- like they're different goalies, but they're basically the same goalie. Like they carry their team to where they are right now. Um, I think I would go. I, I agree. I think Sorokin's the guy and, you know, the Islanders aren't a great team either. And, and he played yeah. beyond outstanding. But on top of it, too, all those three goalies played like almost 15 more games than Allmark. That's a that's a lot. Like that's a lot. I know Allmark has great numbers, but so does Swayman. So it's kind of crazy that Allmark statistically has the year he has, and it's like, oh, sorry, <laughs> enjoy, yeah, exactly. enjoy fourth place, buddy. But I think when you take into quality and things like that, to me, Sorokin, Hellebuck, Saros stand above the rest, and I would go Sorokin, Hellebuck, Saros as my uh, as my top three there. But like Connor Hellebuck said. I don't care about the Vesna. I only care about the the big silver trophy at the end. So um, I guess take solace in the fact that he might grab himself a top three nod once again. Uh, but let us know what you think. Do you agree with our picks or do you have Morrissey and Hellebuck taking home some hardware by the end of the year? Let us know at Skates Plates Pod, at Brandon underscore Rewiki, at Tyson Rewiki as well. But that'll do it for the episode here. Thank you guys so much for tuning in once again to Skates and Plates on the Hockey Podcast Network. When we get back at it, keep an eye on the schedule. 
because it'll either be coming out Monday morning or Tuesday morning, but we will have our playoff preview of the Winnipeg Jets versus the top seed in the West. We'll make our picks, our predictions for that, as well as the rest of the postseason bracket as the best time of the hockey season is on the doorstep, the first round of the postseason. Until then, though, enjoy your weekend. Enjoy the beautiful weather as well, everybody. I'm your host, Brandon Rewicki. CJOB's Tyson Rewicki stopping by once again. Have a safe and enjoyable weekend, everybody. We'll talk to you guys early next week. Peace. What's wrong with you?